0: Welcome to Fontenelle, and today we're talking about the unsettled baby, that baby who just won't stop crying no matter what you do. You don't know what's wrong and you don't know what to do about it. I'm joined by Aude Cholet, dietitian dietician who has developed the Hampshire Infant Feeding Guidelines and she's going to take us through the unsettled baby pathway. After ruling out red flags and acute causes of an inconsolable baby, we'll look at common treatable causes for inconsolable crying. Cow's milk protein allergy, transient lactose intolerance and gastroesophageal reflux disease. We'll then look at that enigmatic diagnosis of infantile colic, which as defined by NICE is a baby of three months of age or younger who's crying for more than three hours a day more than three days a week, and it's going on for longer than three weeks, where no cause can be found and the baby is otherwise thriving and well. It's an incredibly frustrating problem, but it's really good to get the diagnosis because infantile colic really affects bonding and attachment. And it's not only the main reason that parents cite for stopping breastfeeding, but it's also the leading cause of shaking baby syndrome. So to tease out the details and intricacies of all of these, I'm going to hand you over to Aud Cholet. Welcome to Fontenelle and I'm here today uh, in Southampton with Aude Cholet, who is a prescribing support dietitian for North Hampshire and West Hampshire CCG. So, lovely to meet you, Aud. Love you to meet you, Caroline. And welcome to the podcast. And um, Aud's been really involved in um, a lot of the feeding pathways, actually, on Healthier Together. But today she's going to talk about the managing the unsettled baby pathway. So if you could just tell us a little bit about the background. Yes, of course. So, um, as part of my role, I initially looked at infant
1: formula prescribing. There was really clearly a, a big need around looking at the condition for which this formula was prescribed and we developed various pathways and, and sort of making sense of these symptoms which very often are not really specific, yeah. could be many things um, and, yeah. and how do we go about you know helping decide whether we have a dealing with a treatable condition or uh, just a, a very cry baby. Incredibly distressing for a lot of parents it can be really uh, affecting the relationship between the the parent and the child mm. um, a crying baby is very often uh, the the reason for for premature cessation of breastfeeding mm, so something that we true, would yeah. uh, avoid and also is the um, i think the, the 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 term was the proximal reason for shaken baby syndrome mm, Okay, is a, a crying baby so yeah. again it's, it's something that in i think the literature says that you know, only 5% of babies that are present with excessive crying uh, have an organic cause mm-hmm. um, to, the, to the crying. So the vast majority are just really cry baby.
0: I guess part of it is the perception of what is excessive and what's normal and just establishing that Absolutely. might just reassure parents.
1: Absolutely, but and I think open questioning is really important. Uh, but babies are individual in their own rights with yeah. very different sort of way of communicating um, the majority of baby cried between two and three hours per day, so that's quite okay. a lot when you when you're a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the good thing is, it seems to be a very normal thing for babies to cry, even they have the the best possible care, they have uh, you know all, all the right thing addressed. But it's just the way they express themselves.
0: Okay, so you say that most infants will cry or might cry for two to three hours a day. That's normal. So excessive crying, we're saying, sort of over three hours. Yes, the the, the most accepted, and that's the one that
1: uh, the nice um, CSK mention, is crying for three hours a day,
0: three days a week for three weeks. Okay, so let's go, um, so you've made a really lovely pathway here, so if we can just look look at this. Yeah. So what do you think is the most important thing to look for in the history?
1: I think it's really um, making the parents feel listened to and then they really have an opportunity to really go through different things, and I think as a health professional, so sort of going through uh, a sort of systematic pattern of of asking anything from you know the mother's mental health to uh, the nature of the stool, um, mm. you know, and sort of asking about nappies. And I think it's quite easy in a in a flow of conversation to not sort of cover many things. And mm. uh, a thing I've noticed a lot with um, cow's milk putting allergy, for example, is that. Hardly anyone asks about a family history of atopy, for example. Mm.
0: Um, you know, sort of asking about, you know, uh, you know, how often they've changed their baby, if, if they're breastfed. Yeah, and then we're looking at um, or ruling out these red flags here. So there's, there's quite a few here. And obviously anyone who's unwell. Um, yeah. We've talked about the faltering growth, um, severe eczema. Yeah. Um, obviously the acute things like projectile yes. vomiting. Yeah. Um, blood in the vomit or stool, bile stone vomit, um, sort of on-examination, yes. distention, um, anything, you know, that Suggesting an acute problem yeah. or, yeah, so we' we're, So we're ruling out all the red yeah. flags, but we're really, this pathway is really about looking at more of the yes. chronic
1: yes. situation
0: and management, isn't
1: it? Yeah, so trying to link up the unsettled baby with the, the clinical pathway within the guidelines, you know, the most treatable cause, of Of a very cry baby it could be a cows milk allergy mm. uh reflux disease or gourd um potentially transient lactose intolerance and obviously if you know everything has in, has been excluded and um uh, sort of treatable cause such as you know a tired child you know uh, sort of a uh, a child who is really not happy with wet nappies and things like that um you have infantile colic which is Mm. kind of the go-to diagnosis Mm. when everything more serious have been excluded Um, and which unfortunately a lot of parents associate with a you know, with a, with a digestive problem. Yes,
0: okay, so it's really, um, yeah, it's <laughs> but, quite uh, confusing. Yeah, exactly,
1: but colic actually, you know, means just, ex- you know, inconsol- excessive and inconsolable crying yeah. uh, is the is the proper term. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's look at um, cow's milk protein allergy yes. then. Do you mind just talking
1: about that? No, an allergy effectively well, it involves the immune system. Okay. So there are two ways, either a non-Ig mm. process or an Ig-mediated process, um, so, the Ig mediated process will cause an immediate reaction, um, you know, uh, like you sort of can imagine. A non Ig mediated is a bit more tricky to diagnose because it's delayed, it's
0: not, not, not necessarily specific. So uh, the Ig, so you've got your urticarial um, rash, no. um, maybe some severe diarrhea, and this is all happening very within, quickly within,
1: within two to three hours. Yeah, yeah. the non-Ig yeah. is much more uh, difficult to diagnose because the the, the reactions are delayed um, and could be involving uh, the gastrointestinal tract, respiratory symptoms, or skin symptoms, mm. um, which. You know, could be a problem in their own right, and not necessarily associated with an allergy. There tend to be one or two symptoms involved. But again, not always, uh, which makes it quite difficult to diagnose. So again, looking at at the whole health of the baby, all symptoms, and and really asking the the, the right question is really important because parents might not link, you know, eczema with poo problems mm. or vomiting problems with rhinitis. Again, that would be really, really rare, but just to try and really get that whole picture. Again, also asking families of, of atopy, you know, siblings allergies can really um, help. You know, we sort of, from the from the flow chart and from research, we know that gastrointestinal uh, problems um, occurs in between 50 and 60% of baby with CMPA and skin up to 70% so you know mm. half to 70% of baby will, will have some mild eczema um, mm. you know uh, as well um, as
0: as GI symptoms. Yeah. So, so and then with the protein allergy so we need two or more symptoms but it could be you know they they don't all present the same do they no. so it may be skin and reflux yes. or it could be constipation and vomiting and vomiting yeah 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 so it, it's yeah we just need to be quite broad yes. in our thinking yeah
1: and i think because um these symptoms can be so vague again that would be sort of in a non ig mediated scenario yeah. because obviously if they have an Ig mediated the reaction are really quite immediate. Yeah. Um so that 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 makes diagnosis much much more easily, much much much, much easier. Um, but in this non IG setup when reaction are delayed and it could be really it could be allergies or it could just be the baby, you know, uh, sort of is a very refluxy baby, maybe they have constipation, you know, they're sort of prone to that because they're bottle fed. I mean it could be so many yeah. things. Um, so basically you know, the way you would go about that is, okay, well, you know, it sounds like it's yeah. worth taking milk out, you know, so that you don't expose the baby to milk protein, but then yeah. you need to rechallenge that baby. And that's really important yeah. because all these nondescript symptoms could be symptoms in their own right and mm. not necessarily associated with <laughs> calcium protein allergy. And something we're really bad at is Okay, we'll take the milk out, but then after two, two to four weeks, we need to re-expose. Two to four
0: weeks? Yes, we okay. need to
1: reintroduce it yeah. to really confirm whether yeah.
0: it's what is causing the, the symptoms. Okay, so um, so let's talk about taking the milk out and yeah. the options that we've got. Yes. So um, if the baby is exclusively breastfed, yeah. then mum stops
1: eating um, dairy.
0: dairy, and
1: uh, and we tend to uh, recommend to avoid the, the, the white source of soya. So, for example, not necessarily replacing um, milk-free alternative with soya alternative. Um, because all, they cross-react. That's right, yeah. For okay. uh, in non-Ig-mediated um, mm. uh, cow's milk protein allergy, up to 50% of children also react to soya protein. Yeah. So, just worth doing that. I think it's worth noting that Um, calcium protein allergy prevalence in breastfed baby thought to be only 0.5% so it is a very rare uh, thing so it's really important to balance um, the you know fairly uh, seriousness of excluding a whole section of your diet when you're breastfeeding
0: maybe exhausting big exhausted because your baby's crying all the time so Um, okay so that's interesting so does that is that because not as many of the proteins get through into the breast milk um, well, people are saying that effectively, uh,
1: you know, f- think when you eat uh, uh, milk protein in your diet, your breast milk is effectively an extensively hydrolyzed formula. Yes. So it would be, um, it would be a baby who is really highly sensitive yeah. uh, to casein okay. protein, which is that's why it's really rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And do
0: they tend to then get the symptoms less severely?
1: That's right. Yes. Okay. Um, and again, it's important to remember within the context of CMPA that. We're looking at the unsettled baby, so that, you know, a CEPA can cause crying, but a significant amount of baby with calcium protein allergy will not necessarily cry excessively, mm. but they have really bad skin symptoms, yeah. they have, you know, uh, sort of maybe vomiting and mm. things like that. So it's just really, it's, it, crying is not the only presentation, mm. but, you know, it certainly can, uh,
0: can be one of, one of these. Okay. Um, if the baby's formula fed... Then we're going to try them on a different type of milk. Yes, Can you talk absolutely. About which yeah. milk we'd like to go so first? So, in
1: in um, a formula-fed baby, the the prevalence of uh, of CMP is thought to be more around between two and five percent. Okay. Whether that's increasing or not uh, is up for debate because we might just be better at recognizing it. Mm. Um, but the 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 first things you would consider is an extensively hydrolyzed formula, um, simply because. 90% of babies should have symptoms resolution on these extensively hydrolyzed formula. They're much cheaper. Mm. Uh, and example of uh, of this formula are Similac Alimentum, Nutramigen LGG, mm. Pepti One, and Pepti Two, uh, and uh, Althera, which is the the Nestle. So it's basically different companies mm. having you know. Uh, and different
0: in terms milk. of price difference, um, I just saw the chart just a couple of days ago and, and it really is that the Similac was about a third of the price yes. from one of the amino acid Absolutely, formulas yeah. so it's really that I mean I, I think the the doctor that I was speaking to said over the course of sort of the, the feeding the, the formula feeding life of the child it cost, would cost about Six thousand pounds on yes. an amino acid formula. So Absolutely. it's really, it's really well quite taking into account. Yes.
1: I mean the last time I, I didn't I never looked at the data for Wessex, but certainly for Hampshire, we spend three million a year on infant for, on prescribing infant formula, seventy five percent of which are for uh, extensively hydrolyzed and amino acid formula. Mm. So if you want the amino acid formula is the next step up, is is you know, from from going to a peptide based um, uh, feed to an amino acid. So we really can't cut it even uh, in, in smaller chunk. Uh, but because
0: of, of this, they, they are up to three times the yeah. price. Okay. Okay. So we try an extensively hydrolyzed formula. It seems to work. Then yes. you say we should then re-challenge. That's right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that, that's really important. It's in the NICE guidelines. Again, within a non-Ig uh, uh, process of allergy, a lot of these symptoms are... are not necessarily really specific so re-challenging is really important to confirm the mm. allergy um, and uh, and really should be done unless you've had absolutely miracle and the, the parent is really not gonna it, it works so well yeah. i just don't want to go back yeah. obviously you need to respect parents choice mm. but i think it's really important to to do that you know avoiding a whole um, food group you know it is not without consequences mm-hmm. and, and you know if, if that's the case the recommendation is to supplement your diet with mm-hmm. with calcium and, and vitamin D mm-hmm. maybe even iodine um, because you know in in, in, a, in a UK dairy products are a significant source of of yeah. uh, these for us
0: okay and so if I see a child in hospital, baby in hospital and um, it's got two more symptoms cosmic protein allergy we trial the extensively hydrolyzed formula that works we challenge yep um, and and we need to go back on the formula so i'm going to follow up this baby um at sort of nine months age do I then need a dietitian's input or can all this be done using the guidelines on
1: well yes again the guidelines say that to introduce solids if you're going to be following an uh, an exclusion diet it should be ideally made under the supervision of a dietitian or suitably health trained professional okay let's move on to the lactose intolerance an intolerance uh, is really only involving the gut and it's a digestion sort of Mm. process problem so in the case of milk um, the intolerance would be to the lactose uh, in milk, which is, which is the sugar, or it's an allergy tend to involve a protein. So the intolerance uh, to lactose in, in babies, um, lactose needs lactase to be digested, mm-hmm. which is the enzyme that uh, the gut will produce in order to break the lactose into a uh, digestible component. So if you, if you do like this lactase enzyme, the lactose build up and ferment mm. in the gut, causing in infant usually uh, explosive diarrhea, loss of wind, quite often green stools, uh, but not always. Uh, so that really quite clear set of yeah. symptoms um, and it's purely uh, due to the lack of lactase so what caused the lack of lactase um, could be different things so it could be um, uh, sort of follow following a gastro bout of gastroenteritis mm-hmm. when the gut has been damaged so until the gut recovers properly uh, the lactase production might be might be affected something in breastfeeding Fed baby that uh, is called uh, functional lactose um, overload. So if baby gets an excessive amount of, of sort of lactose-rich feeds, that, that can cause just too much lactose that the lactase can't cope with. Mm. Um, or uh, if um, casein protein allergy is there that can damage the gut, which can in turn also okay. affect the lactase production. So
0: you can have them at the same time, right, sort of feeding yep. into each other. Okay. And in terms of the length of time that this transient condition goes on for, when, yep. how long do we normally expect it to take for the gut to repair itself? Well, again, you know... It should
1: be really quite quick if you manage to sort out the cause of the mm. of, of the insult. So, in case of gastroenteritis, two, three, four weeks is okay. sort of really individual to babies. Um, in a case of uh, a cow's milk protein allergy-induced uh, lactose intolerance, it will only be resolved if the the protein allergy is resolved. Yeah. Um, and uh, sort of in a case of a um, uh, uh, functional lactose overload is looking at the the breastfeeding Technique Mm. and sort of uh, advice around that. So, um, lactase production can resume really quickly. So, the most important thing is deciding whether the transient lactose interference is caused by CMPA Mm. uh, or by dysfunctional lactose overload if they're breastfed, uh, and obviously addressing the cause there. If it's following a bout of gastroenteritis, um, it's really rare that the baby will need a lactose free formula if they are formula fed. You would only consider that if they have really, they're really. Suffer quite significantly from the from the lactose intolerance um, uh, symptoms. So, for example, if the diarrhea is causing massive nappy rash and it's really causing distress, uh, then you would uh, you know consider lactose free formula. Mm.
0: But otherwise, you would just let just, them just yeah carry just on and if they're not too bothered, to yeah they
1: just they just have a you know really explosive stool, but you know change the nappy enough. Mm and, you know, the, the 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 gut will heal itself. Okay, so
0: it's not made worse by the presence of lactose?
1: No, you're not going to cause faltering growth or, or major problem. Again, you would... That's really good to know. Yeah, if, if the baby's really distressed and they have massive nappy rash, for example, or really uh, so much wind and they really, you know, uh, suffer from it, then you would consider that. But the problem with removing lactose is that when you start with, you, you know, the, the, the gut needs lactose to Be exposed to lactose in order to produce lactase. Okay. So, if you remove lactose for a significant period of time, it's going to be quite hard You're to reintroduce, uh, generate lactose intolerance. Exactly. So, you would, you know, in any case, you will need to reintroduce it slowly so you yeah. don't overload the gut mm. with lactose after a period of not having it at all. And mm. no the lactase saying, Well, I don't need to be there because there's no lactose uh, coming to me. So, you know, it can really start. A vicious circle and so well, you know, I've excluded lactose for three, four weeks. I'm starting again but my baby's getting back to diarrhoea. But that's because they haven't had
0: lactose yeah. uh, exposure to build up that lactase mm, and production. Okay. That makes sense. So we've got Cosmic Protein allergy, transient lactase intolerance, and then the other big diagnosis here is reflux. That's right. Again, reflux, a bit like colic, a lot of different
1: ideas around from you know what it means. Reflux is Effortless regurgitation of milk, which can be quite a significant amount, Mm. and and vomiting tend to to mean, uh, you know, forceful ejection of the milk. So your stomach actually contracts, Mm. and and you know, it, it looks more like projectile vomiting, which, you know, can really look like. Uh, you know, quite a scary, uh, sc- scary thing. But um, this effortless, r- you know, bringing up of milk can be perfectly normal, mm. but they would have that. Uh, and the baby would be distressed around feeding time. Mm. So it's really, uh, you know, just after that, they, they seem to be um, more distressed if there is this sort of irritation um, mm. of uh, of the, you know, the, the esophagus from the acid. But again, there is a lot of... Um, Uh, sort of thoughts around there that actually, you know, the the, the, the stomach with with the milk is unlikely to be acidic enough to cause problems. It's really a very small proportion of babies who will have that. It might be uh, usually, with preterm babies or, or, or babies with you know neurological conditions mm-hmm. but in a normal infant it's really extremely rare and I think because again the definitions are not necessarily established research is quite difficult to quote um, but the in the UK when they looked at um, G.O.R.D., so proper disease associated with reflux, um, they, they think less than one percent of children up to the age of 13 have GORD, so very small right. amount of uh, okay. of children but i think true gastroesophageal reflux disease is really rare and gastroesophageal reflux is unla- is not really associated with the crying so yeah. it might be you know a, a baby that is regurgitating a lot um, and it's crying a lot, but it might not be connected. Mm. It just might be a very cry baby. Um If it is a gastroesophageal reflux disease, again, think really in the context of um, yeah. other issues with that baby, again, preterm, and yeah. et, cetera, et cetera, Okay. Um And that, uh, you know, that might be associated or might be caused by calcium protein allergy. Okay. And that might be distressed because of that rather than um, Than the, the reflux as such. It's sort of difficult to, to tell why the baby's. It might just be a normal crying and just the way they express themselves, or there might be, you yeah. know, pain,
0: discomfort. But again, yeah. it's really difficult to, to tell. Mm. Okay, so an approach to management would be reviewing the feeding history yeah. and just checking the positioning's okay, you yeah. know, using the correct proportion and formula. Yeah, the, right the so. correct bottle, the correct technique, and the correct breastfeeding as
1: well if, if they're yeah. breastfed. Yeah. The pathway that's all taken from NICE. Um, and then the next step is to, the NARS guidelines advocate the use of anti-reflux formula which mm. are widely available over the counter, Okay. Um, so again it's not something that we necessarily need to be prescribed. Um, they are food for medical purposes rather than infant formula as such, so they should be uh, taken under the supervision of a health professional, mm-hmm. but again there's nothing to say that a parent can buy that themselves. And can you recommend any? Yeah. No, the, all of them are, are very similar. So again, it has anti-reflux in a title. So we've got, you know, Cowingate, Hip Organic, Aptamil, all have an anti-reflux uh, formulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, uh, so that would be for the, 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 the baby milk that is thick before they actually get into the the stomach. So you need to think about which bottle and which tea you using, mm. or you have the um, Uh, the starch-based anti-reflux formula that thickens on uh, contact with stomach acid. Uh, So obviously that's where PPI wouldn't work, you know,
0: for Mm. for, for that
1: for that formula. it's really good to know.
0: Yes, not to prescribe PPI at the same time as giving this formula. Yeah,
1: or Gaviscon because sometimes because these uh, baby formula are widely available at the counter. You might find that, and that's really where the feeding history is really Mm. important because if you prescribe Gaviscon but the parent has already started an anti-reflux formula, your child is gonna, you know, be so constipated. It's not gonna help the crying and the yeah and the comforts. important to to look at that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great. All right. So we've covered cow's protein allergy, yeah. lactose intolerance, reflux. We've ruled out red flag symptoms, and then we're coming back now to if we haven't got any of these. Yes, exactly. So we've gone back to it is probably infantile colic. So
1: there might be some. Um, you know, it, it, it's a bit the go-to diagnosis when you know all things serious have been excluded. Um, and, and treatable cause uh, of, of excessive crying such as, you know, uh, poor sleep, nappies, um, you know, sort of overstimulation, mm. the sort of the usual typical things have been excluded. It's just probably a baby that cries a lot and that's mm. the normal way of, uh, of expressing themselves. But it's really important to not dismiss that as a Oh well okay so it's it's colic therefore it's not important mm. you know we just you know go on to your uh, daily life again if the parents are, are consulting health professionals they're really
0: mm. asking for help as you
1: said that's yes. the third reason
0: they're here is how yes. how to cope to with cope. this now. exactly so because
1: it's really important not. to remember that colic is the 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 most um, uh, likely cause of stopping breastfeeding early Uh, is a very serious cause of of bonding and attachment issues between parents and child, which can have long-reaching consequences, you know, way beyond infancy. Um, And it's also the the biggest cause of shaken baby syndrome Mm -hmm. um, because the parents are clearly not able to cope with it and obviously Mm -hmm. they can have massive ramifications, if not death. So it's really important to provide, uh, well, first reassurance that, okay, there is nothing really treatable or serious However, there is some things you can do and, and really support is really important mm-hmm. um, and obviously really saying that never shake your baby And if you feel that urge, just just
0: walk away put your baby down in a safe place in their cot, and just walk away mm-hmm. Um so even ha- acknowledging that there may be that temptation is probably good. Yes, for them, probably. isn't it? Yes, probably absolutely because you know, I think you know um, but Everyone gets to their wits end. Yes, that's it, normal.
1: Yes, absolutely. And this is a stressful situation <laughs> Yes, exactly as a parent it does take a certain amount of self-control not to send your child, you know, <laughs> across the room sometimes. So, um, you know, I, I can see that. You know, in in a context of uh, of a tired, sleep-deprived mm. parent, you would just completely lose, you know, uh, lose it. But it's really important to have that in the back of your head yeah, just okay. just walk away. Um, and uh, and really important to look at the parents' mental health. Again, we know that in the context of um, of, of mothers or, or, or parent having mental health themselves pre, um, you know pre-child, mm-hmm. uh, that means that they might be a lot less likely to cope. Um, so it's important to look at that. So mm-hmm. even if they cry less than the uh, sort of accepted definition, mm-hmm. the parents might really struggle to cope with that. And um, and there's two things you can do. So you have uh, obviously uh, support from help from uh, help visitors. You can have um, support from Crisis, so C-R-Y hyphen Crisis, uh, which is all in a in a pathway for for colleagues. But there uh, online resources with a 24-hour helpline. Um, and just really making them aware that they're not alone. It is very relatively common. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think the depending on the definition uh, used, but the thing that up to twenty percent of baby have this excessive crying, mm. which is not associated with an organic cause. Mm. You know, the chances are the parents are not alone, yeah. uh, and a lot of other people have experienced the same thing. So just to try and find out. Mm. So they're just sort of part of, of, of the do.
0: normal distribution curve, really. That's they're right. Just yeah. babies who cry more than most. That's right. It's not. Yeah. It's not abnormal. Exactly, and they, you know, if if again you don't
1: shake your baby or you know it doesn't stop the attachment it doesn't seem to
0: suggest that there's any
1: consequence yeah. you know this sort of excessive and can plan. we give
0: parents any type of timeline or reassure them yes. when this is going to start changing mm-hmm. yes yeah, so you usually start in the first few uh, days weeks of life and you sort of
1: can peak between three and four months and then that and then sort of really go down yeah for most parents of course you always have exceptions but that's sort of usually the mm. um the, the sort of four months is tend to be a bit of a where things tends to get better from mm. from then Mm. Um, whether it's because, you know, the one of the thought is that, you know, the first three months of an infant life, you know, potentially, you know, when you look at all other animals, they probably should have been, you know, stayed inside, but because we have to give birth mm. through our sort of very uh, narrow canal, they tend to be born really mm. quite early, um, but there seem to be that sort of four months. So they're line. just sort of uncomfortable about being in the world? <laughs> so, some babies are like that you know some, some like human beings some uh, for some adults i mean you know it's just uh, really some mm. some uh, some babies are just more cry than others mm. and it's just completely normal to accept that scale that yeah. there is not one behavior that is normal mm. and and again in the healthier together there's a whole section as to what is normal and what is not mm. and the normality covers really quite a big range yeah. of 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 things really whether it's crying or feeding or mm.
0: sleeping even yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, thanks so, so much, Lord. That's really, really great. I think we've gone through this pathway in quite a lot of detail. And I know that then, yeah, if if listeners want to go and look on the website, there's a lot of other mm. pathways as well going into more detail about each Yes, area. which is
1: all linked with uh, parent resources and, uh, you know, web websites or, or reference for health professionals and parents alike. Yeah. So hopefully... Um, you know, people can be reassured that there is, you know, some evidence behind that, and yeah. and, uh, and and some help and, and support, um, because you know it's really hard to deal with uh, uncertainty, mm. and and you know, sort of investigation can be really um, quite a challenge sometimes mm. in terms of time, and in terms of you know n- knowing
0: mm-hmm. where
1: to go next. But hopefully, that gives a bit of a. Um, unified approach so that health professionals can all feel that, okay, mm. well, you know, the health professional, the health visitors have tried that, so we're going to do this now, and, and parents feel they're not mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth between different advice, different systems, different organisations, different health professionals, but there is, you know, a pathways and, and a way of doing things so they can really feel confidence in the, in the processes
0: that yeah. needs to be followed. Great. Well, thanks so much for all your hard work and thanks for speaking to me today. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much once again, Aud, for your insights into the intricacies of cow's milk protein allergy, whether that's IgE or non-IgE mediated, and the importance of re-challenging with normal milk two weeks after a trial of hydrolyzed formula, just to check that we've actually got the right diagnosis. And then transient lactose intolerance. And the fact that lactose, far from making symptoms worse, is actually required by the enterocytes them to start producing lactase again and our old favourite reflux which is physiological in most of our babies as opposed to gastroesophageal reflux disease which has a prevalence of less than 1% and that usually presents with faltering growth, recurrent otitis media or pneumonia and not crying in an otherwise thriving baby. And then perhaps the most frustrating diagnosis of all, the indistinct infantile colic. And according to the NICE Clinical Knowledge Summary, if a baby under three months is crying for more than three hours a day, three days a week, for three weeks, if the baby's growing normally with no overt vomiting, constipation or diarrhoea, and no skin symptoms or red flags, consider infantile colic. Because there's no known cause, there's no known cure, but it's good to know that you've got the diagnosis of infantile colic, because it has a huge effect on bonding and attachment, and it's the most common cause of stopping breastfeeding early, as well as being the most common reason for shaken baby syndrome. So giving a diagnosis of infantile colic helps us acknowledge the problem and offer support to parents. A summary of this information can be found at fontanelpod.com where there are linked, Healthier Together and Nice, as well as Crysis which offers support for crying and sleepless babies. And there's also a link to a very useful article from the BMJ about infantile colic Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about ADHD. But for now, from Fontenelle, goodbye.